0: You want and you know that the administration did not they really didn't want to do this of course not they really you don't want to spend 18 million you don't want to pay 18 million to a guy not to coach so they did their due diligence and they walked they asked people and they talked to people and they got an idea of what was going on behind the scenes and it was scary enough to them that there was no way they would invest in a year three Welcome to
1: an ACC podcast. I am Lauren Brownlow. And I had this whole plan in my mind of how this podcast was going to go this week. And then Florida State messed around and fired Willie Taggart. So (laughs) I have on with me, Corey Clark. And don't get me wrong, I would have loved to have had Corey on at any normal point anyways, but this made it a little more necessary for more chant uh, to sort of break down what the heck's going on here. Corey, hi. First of all, thank you.
0: Oh, you're welcome. What, what was the original plan?
1: Actually, I was going to have on someone from Virginia to sort of talk about, oh, wow, a functioning offense. Who knew that you guys had that? Uh, coastal Division favorites and blah, blah, blah. But instead, um, like I said... Florida State did what they did. And I
0: feel like this is this is much more interesting, right?
1: Well, what's, what's sort of funny is that I remember after the Florida State game, when Florida State and Virginia played earlier, all the talk was about Florida State. And I remember some of my Virginia fans getting a little annoyed with it and like, hey, come on, we got a pretty good win. Like, it's not just about Florida State. And look, they stole their thunder yet again. That's um, right. That's right. <laughs> So, okay, look, I think we all knew that Willie was on somewhat uh, tenuous ground, to say the least, during the course of the season. But I think a lot of us sort of felt like, for a variety of reasons, nothing was going to happen to Willie this year. How did things change so quickly?
0: Well, I, you know, honestly, Lauren, I, I think more than anything, well, number one, uh, David Coburn, the athletics director, uh, made a point uh, on Monday when he was talking about the decision He talked about how eerily similar the Miami game uh, of Saturday felt to the Virginia Tech game of last year, which was Willie's first game, if your listeners remember, which I I assume they do. It wasn't exactly an instant classic, but it was a it was a Monday night Labor Day game. Willie's first game at home. 80,000 people. The place is going nuts and they get beat 21 to 3 and look terrible doing it. Uh, Offense looked completely inept. And 20 games later, literally from game one to game 21 was Coburn's essential point is it looked the exact same, like nothing had changed. The record hadn't changed. The record hadn't gotten any better. Um, The team hadn't beaten a rival, had just gotten embarrassed at home by a not good Miami team. And you're left to wonder, okay, does it, where do we go from here? Where's the hope? But I think the biggest thing uh, on top of just the, the the win-loss record, is when Willie Taggart was hired at Florida State, and I wrote this and I said this, I thought it was going to be like John Calipari at Kentucky. I thought his charisma, his recruiting prowess, along with the Florida State brand, he was going to be signing top two, top three classes nationally every year. And it just didn't happen. It just didn't materialize. I think this year, even before the kids started decommitting here in the last day or two, they were sitting at like 15th. Which you know, is nothing to sneeze at. But at Florida State it kinda is. You know, Florida State's used to get in top Jimbo would get top five every year. You thought Willie the worst he would do is top two or three. So not only were they losing on the field, but they were losing kind of on the recruiting trail recruiting trail. They weren't beating Clemson and they weren't beating Florida and they weren't beating Alabama, Georgia for any of these kids, and we thought Willie would. So when you when you take into mind the fact that he's he's obviously, and I say this from watching the last twenty one games, He's not a great game day coach, but you put on top of that the fact that he was not he was not stocking this roster like you thought he was going to and the roster is actually getting worse. Then you're left to wonder, okay, how long do you if you know it's a mistake and they obviously thought it was a big mistake uh, after 20 games, how long do you keep them around to just. How long do you when do you expedite the process to get rid of him? How long do you make a two year mistake, a three year mistake, or do you cut the cord after two years? And they just decided, you know, the talk all along was could they afford it because of the buyout? Um, and he's going to get Coburn said that it's going to be somewhere around the neighborhood of eighteen million dollars, which is just incredible to pay a guy eighteen million dollars not to coach amateur athletics. Sure. So so he's going to get eighteen million, but he's going to get eighteen million. They're probably going to all told probably spend twenty one, twenty two million in buyouts with the, with the coaching staff. So the question was, can, they, can Florida State, a school that's not you know, lined with cash, can they afford to do this? And then the counter is, can they afford not to do this? Because, Lauren, I don't know how many Florida State games you've watched this year, home games, but the attendance has been dreadful. They're averaging, they're averaging about 51,000, 52,000. Miami was their best crowd by far. And I remember being in the press box thinking, wow, the Florida State fans really showed out for this one. This is pretty impressive. It was sixty-three thousand, which is seventeen thousand less than capacity. And that's their best crowd of the season. And next year, if you bring him back with with you know, you're losing Cam Akers, you're losing Marvin Wilson, you're probably losing Tamari and Terry and some other guys. there's gonna be no season tickets. The the booster money was starting to dry up. The season ticket sales were definitely in the tank. And I think and they felt Uh, And I know as much and he said as much. They felt they couldn't afford to keep him around because of the money they were losing. So
1: obviously, the boosters are going to have to play a role here and they had to pony up the cash. How much extra cash, though, do they have left at this point to go out and hire somebody who is even halfway decent?
0: I think they'll be all right. You know, they they're not going to pay. And number one, I don't know that he's necessarily going to get eighteen million um, total. That's what he's owed. But you know how these negotiations work with buyouts; it might be a little less than that. Also, they can do. You know, an, it's like a lottery. You can do like an annuity. You're not getting one check. You're not getting a lump sum for eighteen million. They're going to space it out at least over the the length of the contract, which would be another four years. So you're looking at in my quick math: four and a half million dollars a year you owe him um, on top of. Yeah. I mean, you know, they have the money. They swear they have the money. They can find the money. They're going to find the money because and and they can't afford not to. Again, like you can't you can't just go. um, you, You can't you can't hire this coach on the cheap. Football is too important to this university and to this fan base. And I mean, to the whole university. For you, to, for you to not hire a guy that you think is going to be an absolute home run. Now, there's no guarantees other than the guy at Alabama and probably Urban Meyer. There's no guarantees in college football coaching of a home run hire. But they've got to get as close as possible. And if that means they have to pony up another five, five and a half, six million dollars, they're going to they're, I don't think they'll have any qualms in doing it. I think that's what this proved, right, is that they understand that they're willing to go into the find every nickel in the couch, to make sure they get their to make sure they get their program back up and running again cuz they can't afford to be bad at football.
1: Yeah. Except their nickels are like a million dollars.
0: Yeah, apparently. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The gold doubloons.
1: (laughs) And I mean, looking at these numbers, yeah. I mean, it's uh, Miami's offensive line has been terrible all year. And to be fair, they did hold Pitt to I think only a couple sacks the week before, which surprised me. But Florida State only has two sacks against that bad line. Miami has nine, which is probably more concerning. Sixteen tackles for loss—that's bad. Yeah. I mean, it's just all bad. There's nothing good. There's ten penalties. Like, there's nothing you can look at and go, "Oh, okay." And like you said, Miami had not been good this year, and they dominated this game. It wasn't competitive miami's been competitive in almost every game it's played for better or worse and you don't want to be in the same sentence as bethune cookman if you're a florida state so
0: well it, it's in when's the last time miami beat someone by 17 points was it yeah. two, was dorsey bethune- the quarterback cookman. was it two, yeah like a like a <laughs> division one school though it's been forever since they've they've gone on the road and kind of dominated like that and your team just wilted because your team's done that a lot under your uh under your under your command and the, the, the thing I feel i don 't mean I, I say I feel bad for Willie, like we just talked about. he can go buy an island here soon enough i don 't feel <laughs> that bad for him, but he did inherit a mess um, it, it was The program was not in good shape um, n- not only roster wise roster wise it was it was certainly better than it 's looked the last two years there 's some talent on this team. But the locker room was a mess.
1: And the, you mentioned the APR. He couldn't afford to let anybody go because of the APR. So even if there's a problem on the team, you can't afford to let him go because your APR is going to take a huge hit and then you're in even bigger trouble.
0: Yeah, I mean, they were literally, they were barreling towards sanctions. That's how bad they were. I mean, I think, I think they were the number, they were the last or second to last of all power fives in APR, which is just, an, that's an embarrassment. Um, and, and that's, that's what, on Jimbo. Yeah. No, it's, all of it's on Jimbo. All of, the, all of that aspect is on Jimbo. But I think what when you watched the games and you saw that there weren't, you know, just the, 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 the penalties were just incredible. And some of the, some of the clock management stuff, which isn't even that big an issue in the, in the big picture, but it is it, it, when you look at it from the, the micro instead of the macro, there were some things he did during the games where you wondered, okay, he's, he's been coaching now for a hundred games. How does he still make these mistakes? And is this going to get any better? But by and large, I think, You know, the offensive line was a disaster and has been for three years. That doesn't, that hasn't apparently really been short, short up at all. And you went and got him. You already paid, you're already paying $980,000 for your defensive coordinator, um, Harlan Barnett, who, who was probably going to be fired anyway, but it's a, it's a guarantee now. Um, And then you're paying a million dollars to Kendall Bryles. And you went through all the, all the, uh, you know, people, eye rolls and, and, and people's, just the, the Bryles name. Which is very toxic for good reason, but you were willing to go through that because you wanted you you so desperately wanted Willie Taggart to have a uh, a elite offensive coordinator that would turn this thing around. You got him one, got him a very good offensive line coach. You're paying them a combined about one point six million dollars, and yet you're still four and five, and you have Cam Akers. Oh, Cam
1: Akers! Can we? I feel really bad for him. Yeah, just for like a few more weeks. Just, I, just a, a good team for a few weeks.
0: I wrote about it. I wrote a column uh, after the Syracuse game because I didn't want to write a whole. What is this? They beat Syracuse by eighteen, and Syracuse is terrible. And I didn't want to write a whole. Hey, Willie's writing the ship story after that. So my whole story was just about how Cam Akers deserves better than this. Like he's literally one of the best Florida State running backs of all time, probably third, I would say, behind uh, Warwick Dunn and and Dalvin. And man, he's going to finish his career with a losing record. Like, he's going to end up probably going to one bowl in his career, and it was Shreveport. Like, oh. I, you know, I, I, look, Cam Akers will be making a lot of money here soon enough again, but you feel bad. Like, this guy's legacy, this guy should be one of those seminal greats and seminal legends. And instead, he's going to be an afterthought because his teams were so bad. Um, so, you know, Willie had some, Willie did have some talent. The offensive line was a train wreck, but he didn't do anything to fix it. And he also. Yeah. I don't know how many of your listeners realize this. You, they might because of Sam Howell, but he also went two years yeah. without sign, without signing a quarterback. Yeah, have you ever heard of that? Like, legitimately, I don't know if I've ever heard Just of like a, any quarterback. Yeah, no, It did not sign <laughs> a quarterback. He, you know, and I know he got here late in in twenty seventeen, and so he was up against it. But he had a, he had fourteen months to get himself a quarterback recruit. And he had Sam Howell, but he had no relationship with Sam Howell. Sam Howell's relationship was apparently strictly with Walt, with Walt Bell, Bell, the offensive yeah. coordinator. And then, and I didn't know Walt Bell was like this great quarterback whisperer. That if he <laughs> leaves, if he leaves, you wouldn't go. You don't go to Florida State. Like, what has Walt Bell ever done at a high level that would be uh, so important to Sam Howell? But so Walt Bell leaves, he obviously doesn't give Sam. He doesn't give Willie Taggart. If he, I'm sure he talked to Sam Howell when he took the job at UMass. And I'm, 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 I'm quite obviously, he did not tell Sam Howell, "Hey, man, you need to go to Florida State anyway." He's going to get it turned around because Sam Howell did not end up at Florida State. So, you know, when you when you've gone two straight recruiting cycles without signing a quarterback. Again, that's an indictment. That's just, you know, I don't know if you know this or the, the, again, I know you know everything, Lauren. I don't mean to quit. I don't, I'm not, uh, I I know, you know stuff. I'm talking more to your listeners, but they only have nine, they only have nine coaches. They don't have a full 10 coaches this year. That I didn't know, actually. So so, uh, this is a real quick story. So they tried to hire Ron. When Willie was hired in December of 2017, he tried to hire Ron Dugans from Miami And Dugan's is from Tallahassee, a Florida State guy, but he said no. He stayed at Miami with Rick, which should tell you something there. But anyway, Willie found that out, I think, when they were on a plane to go recruit a kid from the state of Washington. David Kelly was his recruiting coordinator, and David Kelly was on the flight with him. David Kelly had been a receivers coach in the past, but like seven, eight years ago, he was strictly an off-the-field coach, a behind-the-scenes, quality control recruiting guy. And Willie looked at David Kelly and said, hey, man, do you want to be the receivers coach? And Kelly's like, "Uh, yeah, I guess so. So that's who their receivers coach was. And it's Florida State we're talking about. Like You could go get any number of qualified coaches to be your receivers coach. But he just asked the guy that was sitting in the seat next to him on the plane. So cut to, what, January of last year. Well, Mark Rick gets fired. Ron Dugans doesn't have a job anymore. Manny Diaz doesn't retain him. Ron Dugans is now very interested in Florida State again. And Willie Taggart, rightfully so, is interested in Ron Dugan's because he's a good receivers coach. The problem is, is that because David Kelly was an... If you hire... The NCAA rule is if you hire a coach on the field, he has to be on the field for at least two years. That's a rule. So David Kelly had been on the field coach for one year. So they had to, make, they had to keep him, even though they already had... You know, they were hiring a receivers coach. They still had a receivers coach. So... Frank oh, receivers coaches? Basically, no. <laughs> he, he's a... Re- yeah, exactly. he Yeah, one's inside, one's outside. He uh, he ended up becoming... Basically, he's still an on-field coach, but he's the recruiting coordinator, and he had no... Literally, I watched him at practice. He had no duties during practice at all. So, because they couldn't... they You know, they wanted to hire DB's coach, but they couldn't. They couldn't. And David Kelly's not a DB's coach. So they coached a man down this year to make sure they still had David... And he wasn't going to fire David Kelly because David Kelly's his buddy. Which, again, right. loyalty's fine, but that's why they coached a man down this year. And no, it's stuff like of, that. Uh, yeah, that's part of his downfall, obviously. Yeah, yeah. it's just the stuff. And you hear the, th- the stuff behind the scenes about just how a little bit disorganized it was. Not a little bit, a lot. And there's stories like that. And then you want and you know that the administration didn't they really didn't want to do this. Of course not. They really you don't want to spend 18 million you don't want to pay 18 million to a guy not to coach. So they did their due diligence and they what they asked people and they talked to people and they got an idea of what was going on behind the scenes and it was scary enough to them that there was no way they would invest in a year or 3.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. I think uh, the way I would probably categorize Willie's tenure is is uh, lots of well-intentioned mistakes. Um, sure. Sure. <laughs> and yeah, like, and, and you know, um, it is what it, it, it stinks. You, like you said, you don't want to spend $18 million on a guy not to coach. But my real question now is, I mean, it's early in the process, of course, but who is likely to get this job? Who are they likely to target? What are you thinking? What are you hearing?
0: Um, so the big name that was making the rounds today, and there was a lot of, uh, I was going to say smoke, but it's fire. I mean, it's... It seemed uh, almost imminent at one point, um, but it, it could still be imminent. It could be this week, um, and I again we, I I preface this by saying I qualify it by saying that these things are the coaching as you know coaching searches are just nuts. You hear one thing that it's a definite, and then you know five hours later the guy's like, "No, nah, I'm staying. I'm not coming." You, that's it, it's so fluid. It's like an ocean. It's so fluid. But Bob Stoops. Okay. Okay. You know he's, uh, you know he retired whenever that was. Was it before the 16th season? I think I so. Can, yeah. Yeah, because Mayfield won the Heisman with Lincoln Riley, right? And then, and then, no, maybe it was the 17. May, it
1: might it's have it been, been, been 17, retired. actually. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I know he didn't coach Mayfield when he won the Heisman. Um, that was Lincoln Riley, and the, yeah. So Lincoln Riley's in his third year. So when he retired in June of 2017, and we all thought at the time he's only 59. I thought he was older than that. And uh, so I, I no, he obviously was pretty young
1: when, when he retired. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. He was fifty seven, and at the height, I mean, they were uh, Oklahoma was good for a long time, and uh, he left a great program for Lincoln Riley. And so I was reading up on him. Like, was it? I couldn't remember. Were like their health scares, or was he burned out? And none of that really. People were like, he just said, "No, I wanted to go live my life." And I am sure there was a little bit of burnout, but I also thought he knew he'd be retiring soon at Oklahoma, and he thought, "Okay, let me leave the new guy a great team." and a great quarterback. That's going to help a lot, and it, it certainly did. Um, but now he's going to be, he was slated to be, or still is slated to be, the coach of the Dallas team in the XFL Okay. and yeah. the GM. So he, he's obviously shown that he wants to coach again. Yeah. And I just can't imagine if the choices are Florida State or the Dallas Coyotes or whatever they are in the in the XFL, that you would choose the XFL. Um, it's. Especially if you miss college coaching.
1: Yeah, stress level is about all I can think of, but sure. No, you're right. And I mean, not that I'm not comparing Bob Stoops to Mac Brown because Mac Brown is considerably older, but it is worth like, okay, if you're going to bring somebody in, it might as well be a, a, you know, a, a name that people understand and know and recognize. And it's an established name. And if you're going to throw money at a guy, it might as well be a guy that you know can get the job done.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, again, I I don't think there are any home run hires out there. Um, he's probably as close to a slam dunk in the sense that, you know, he will stabilize the program, right? He's probably, I mean, he, I mean, odds are he's not going to win a national championship. He only won one at Oklahoma, and that was two decades ago. So he's probably not going to make you a national championship team, but he will turn it around and get it stabilized. And then also, he's old enough at 59 that you don't think he's going to beat. You're not tying yourself down to him for a decade or 15 years. Right. It might be a four- or five-year job, and then he's turned Florida State again into a very valuable commodity where you can get almost any young up-and-coming coach that you want. And he'll make some money for the university because he could, you know, season tickets, I would imagine, would go up if you hire somebody like Bob Stoops. Now, again, that's there's not that's nothing close to official other names out there. I I, I assume you can you can predict there's the P.J. Fleck. um, There's Brent Venables. I've been on the Venables chain or on the Venables train for for like nine weeks now. I was like, man, just think of it's perfect. Not only do you get a guy that, you know, is going to turn your defense around. Probably quickly, but you kneecap Dabo. You just take Dabo's most important guy out of the out of the equation. Right then, you make your rival less, and you become better. That's the perfect way to go. So he he's one of the names out there. I don't know how realistic that is. I know he's still got his son there that he coaches, and he yeah, seems to,
1: and a ton really of job seems,
0: security. <laughs> yeah, and he seems to really like that job. He just likes that place. There's something about that place, man. They got first rounders coming back for a senior year. Yep, they Keep got their a, coordinators got a, pretty well. Yeah, I was gonna say Venable's could have. I mean, Venable's. I think realistically, like if Stoops didn't. Happen. Mm-hmm. I think their their next call would literally be to Venables. Mm-hmm. I mean, in Florida State is a primo job. It's a top notch, elite job. And he, I mean, I'm sure he has those offers almost every year. Maybe not to the Florida State level, but close. And he's like, no, nah, I'm cool, hanging out by the lake, wearing all this orange, and coaching all these great players, and having Dabo as my boss. Like it's just something about that place, man, where people don't want to leave. So um, yeah, I think PJ Fleck um, is also a, a candidate that's come up. I saw on Twitter today, you know, I, this, take this for what it's worth. Lane Kiffin had expressed interest <laughs> this, in the job. This was my favorite one. Yeah. Lane. Well, sure, man. I'm, I'm going to express interest too. Like just because you express interest doesn't mean that they're interested in you. And I just think that would be a really hard sell.
1: Uh, yeah. Um, for the sake of comedy, I would enjoy it. But uh, for my Florida State friends, I would not.
0: Yeah, probably not. Yeah, probably not. So there's 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 some uh, there's some interesting candidates out there for sure. I think Matt Rule at Baylor would be an interesting guy, too. Um, And I'm saying that like you I have to imagine Fleck would leave Minnesota and Rule would leave Baylor. Right. Sure. Don't you of think course. For the, yeah. For uh-huh. Florida State. Yes. Um, Venables. I'm not so sure because Me I think neither. Venables, he can handpick a job whenever he wants it. And he's got a chance to coach his son. And I'm sure that's pretty cool. Um, and his son's going to get ones, a ton of reps. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think all the other ones are, um, are are pretty viable. But I think right now they really like the Stoops idea. And the the beauty of the Stoops idea, if it were to happen, is that, man, he could get going soon. Like, if you hired PJ Fleck, well, when do you get? To, when does he get to join the team after the a Big Ten championship game? Right, if he you're goes gonna, there or the... yeah,
1: you're going to have to wait for any of those other guys right now. Mm-hmm.
0: But Stoops is immediate.
1: Yeah, and that, and you don't suffer in recruiting as much as you would if you wait on those guys for
0: sure. Absolutely. So I think that's that's one of the appeals. Also, the fact his track record is great. I also think that um, you know I, we were talking about this that kid at Houston, the quarterback that weirdly just redshirted. Um, you know, obviously, if Kendall Bryles stays at Florida State, Kendall Bryles coached him at Houston to 50 touchdowns in nine games. So there is a chance I'm saying again, I'm not breaking news. This is just me speculating. But if Bob Stoops comes to Florida State, there's a chance, probably a decent one that he keeps Kendall Bryles. He's he's plenty familiar with Kendall Bryles. They coached against each other a lot. And if Kendall Bryles and Bob Stoops are at Florida State. Well maybe that makes it a little more appealing for Derek King to come from Houston to Florida State. And then all of a sudden you have a kid that's a 50 touchdown. I mean a kid average I know it's Houston it's what are they what what are they in the American Athletic AAC, Conference? Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, so I mean I know that's different than the ACC but Kyle Lee, you're averaging <laughs> almost, yeah, I was going to say you're averaging five and a half touchdowns per game yeah. with, with the, you know, that uh, probably with a better offensive. Well, definitely with a better offensive line than what he'd have at Florida state. But I just think that would be, again, this program has just been in such desperate need of a boost and Taggart had it. Man, I don't, the, the spring game Taggart's first spring game. There was 60,000 people there. People were so in love with the hire. He was such a, a refreshing change of pace, from what they'd been dealing with with the previous head coach. Yeah. They showed up in, an, in droves for that spring game. And he did a victory lap around the stadium, and everybody was so excited about the Taggart era and lethal simplicity and do something. We're going to go fast and yada, yada. And then by the third quarter of his first game, I think there was a big, there was a, there was a, a shift in the mindset of, uh-oh, what, what's happening? What, what did we do? And it never really got better to the point that Coburn in game 21 is bringing up game number one.
1: Yeah, no, I think you've summed it up really, really well. And it'll be interesting to see what happens from here. Um, I will say, I feel bad we haven't said anything about Miami um, a little bit, but Jaron Williams Hive, I think it's me and like one other person on the Jaron Williams bandwagon, but I'm a proud member of it. And I I feel pretty good about it after what he did on Saturday. I know Florida State is is, uh, not playing well right now, but...
0: Yeah, Florida State is flawed, but yeah, he he was impressive. Um, He threw a couple balls that should have been picked, but otherwise he made he's made some really nice throws. I thought he stood in the pocket better than he has uh, a lot this season. I I just I I remember it well. The Virginia Tech game was just a debacle, but the Florida game too. That he just I mean I, I know their offensive line was terrible. But some of those sacks were on him he did he did just he kind of seemed to me he was freezing up a little bit and holding on to the ball a little too long, but he certainly got that out of his system against Florida state, not that florida state 's defense is remotely <laughs> similar to Florida, but yeah, i thought he was I thought he was a good player i thought he I thought he did really well they didn 't i mean they didn 't even try to run the ball no like they knew better that, their, their game plan was like we got no chance we 're going to let it ride on this kid 's right arm, and it, for the most part it was a, it was effective now they had You know, until the well, yeah. I mean, they scored twenty-seven points. That's that's good for Miami. I mean, it's not it's not incredible. (laughs) Yeah, it is good for Miami. (laughs) But it's good for Miami, and you put on that on top of how he ended the pit game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see why they'd be excited about him. I I think he's he looks to me to have the most upside of any quarterback they've had. Because I was never a huge Kaya fan. Um The fact that yeah. he's a, he's a freshman, I, I think, and he's a Gwinnett County kid, which is where I'm from, so I got a special bond with him anyway. Gwinnett County, Georgia. So um, I, I just I think he's probably the, the the quarterback with the most upside that they've had there in. I don't even know. I can't even. Who who's who they had recently that's been any good? <laughs> that sounded like a shot at Miami. No, I know. I, I guess it was. I can. you? Who was their? Who's been their best quarterback of the last twenty years? No,
1: I don't. I I don't. I think you're right. And I, I you know I just feel like there's something about him that I think is is he's got that little extra something to him, a little extra toughness, a little extra moxie. I feel the same way about James Blackman. To be fair, and we see well. where James is now. But <laughs> yes. you know, I, I I said this the other day to somebody. I'm way too invested. In the quarterback battles of like quarterbacks in the ACC that aren't very good, anyways. But I have like mm-hmm. picked a side and I'm like, this is my person. And Jaron Williams is my guy. And James Blackman is another one that I really like. Uh, but I know he's had his own. I know, like, yeah, he's
0: had his own problems. But um, man, how about what's funny about Hornybrook coming to Florida State is I, I could, I, they played in the Big Ten championship game, I think two years ago, maybe. And they were giving Ohio State a, a game. And uh, he just kept throwing interceptions, or he just wasn't any good. Hornybrook, I'm talking about. Yeah. And um, and I remember when, when he transferred to Florida State, I was talking to my co-host on uh, the podcast I do. I'm like, man, I think I had a really snarky tweet about Hornybrook back in the Big, 12 champ- Big Ten Championship game, and I can't remember it. And he's like, oh, well, let me look it up. And he did whatever he did. I mean, he didn't just scroll through my Twitter feed. He did something to look it up. And he goes, oh, yeah, here it is. Uh, he goes, Corey. Your tweet is: uh, When is this Wisconsin quarterback going to quit with all the jokes and start throwing right-handed? <laughs> because it looked like a prince. It looked like he was throwing with his off hand. Like yeah. it looked like he just because he has no zip on the ball, and yet somehow Florida State in 2019, Alex friggin Hornibrook – is their best option at quarterback? A stationary
1: it, quarterback behind an offensive line that is like made of spiderwebs. Sure.
0: Yeah, perfect. And not only stationary, <laughs> but can throw the ball about twenty-seven yards. So the the corners aren't worried about getting beat deep at all. Ugh. So there's nothing open underneath because they all know you can't throw it deep. So yeah, not not a great not a great uh, combination there. Not at all. Uh, if they had uh, only gotten Justin Fields to transfer to Florida State. I mean, sure. Yeah. Might have been better. Or Sam Howell? Yeah. Old Benedict Arnold having to go to <laughs> Chapel Hill and leaving Florida State with Hor- Hornybrook. Thanks a lot, Sam. Yeah. Someone tweeted at me like, imagine what
1: Sam Howell could be doing at Florida yeah. State. And I'm like, yeah. getting sacked more?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's a little bit more mobile, so that would help. But yes. yeah, nobody nobody after nine games, after seeing what we've seen, fault Sam Howell in the least for the decision he made. By the way, that kid's pretty good, huh?
1: Well, yeah. And I... I I was going to say, well, that can take us to that game, honestly, because that was a a typical North Carolina football game in that it came down to the end. And uh, actually, it was their biggest margin of defeat of the year as they fall 38-31 to Virginia in a game that hit the over by halftime. Um, yeah. I yeah that one this one was wild to me like I thought that Carolina would move the ball I wasn't sure about Virginia uh, Bryce Perkins comes in hobbled and he didn't look it he looked great he looked as good as he's looked all year I think Virginia's offensive coordinator has finally figured out a way to sort of disguise their offensive line issues um, like we've seen some other coordinators do in the league at times this year and it paid off like they looked very good on they were just sort of running the same thing a lot um, because they were trying to exploit some of Carolina's cornerback issues but like it worked they were they adapted they figured out what was working. And they went with it. And Bryce looked really good. I was, I was happy to see that for him because he seems like a nice kid. And he's fun to watch when he's like that. And he looked really good. And that really puts them in great position in the Coastal, honestly.
0: So what's the deal? I'll 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 grant uh, um, I'll admit this now. I haven't really paid a lot of attention to the coastal because it's so convoluted. (laughs) But who is is Virginia in the driver's seat? If they went out, they go.
1: Yeah. So right now, Virginia is because they yes, if they went out, they go. But if they are in the driver's seat, especially because they have tiebreakers over North Carolina and Pitt at this point, the only. But what about Miami? Is Miami not still in contention? Uh, I don't believe so. I'd have to pull that up, but they, uh, they might be close. But v- Miami, oh yeah, I guess Miami does have a tiebreaker over Virginia. I always forget that. I think, but people- not over Virginia Tech. Right. And then Virginia Tech is the whole issue for Virginia in the first place because oh,
0: right, you right. Know,
1: that's a team that they can't beat. And so they, they
0: don't ever beat Virginia Tech.
1: Never, no matter what. And I think at the beginning of this year, we were all like, this is the year. And now we're all like, well, maybe not. So that's a, a whole other issue to be decided for them. But yeah, no, Miami is three and three. They're right there. But Virginia is four and two right now. And Pitt's three and two. And they have the tiebreak on Pitt. So um Virginia is in good position. They've got Georgia Tech and um, Virginia Tech to go. So, yeah.
0: you know, they're... Well, he, I, I like, and I like him. He's a good coach. Um, he, I think he's really good for that program. I don't know why. I just think Bronco is a really good fit for Virginia. Um, and they, they're tough. I was really surprised they gave up that many points. <laughs> you and me but, both. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah but uh yeah I was I like, more surprised I like they scored that many honestly that's crazy and I know North Carolina's not great defensively but they've been a better and that was uh that I, I kept checking that score going wow is that right that that can't be right is that right and uh yeah yeah it was I mean and, and then going back to the Howell kid what do you he had 15 completions for 350 yards and four touchdowns that's right <laughs> He has
1: he has more 40 yard plus touchdowns than than like several teams do total touchdowns.
0: So what um, when it comes to the North Carolina fans and I know you're more in tune with them than I would ever be. What what do they feel about Mac Brown and what do they feel about the state of the program? Because I know they're four and five, but it feels to me and I know Florida State and North Carolina have completely different expectation levels. It seems to me that's a whole different feeling, four and five, than the Florida State four and five. Like, Mac Brown's not in danger of getting fired.
1: It's, it, oh, of course. Well, and he's kind of coached that way, and he's even said as much just because, like, he- you know He's not going anywhere. Um, yeah, it's a different feeling partially because of how bad they were last year in the last couple of years. They had a lot of the same issues that Florida State did in terms of penalties and dumb mistakes and things like that under Larry Fedora. And even in spite of that, they were still in some games. Um, they've been in games this year. They've made way fewer of those mistakes. And they have a quarterback. And I think that's the biggest difference from the past couple of years since Mitch Trubisky got drafted is they haven't had a quarterback. Now they do. So I think that's a big reason for some optimism for North Carolina. And look, every game has been... The same, pretty much. They have beaten one team by double digits, and it's Georgia Tech. They'll beat Mercer by double digits, and the rest will probably play out the same way as toss-ups. And so, yeah, I think they feel a lot of optimism going forward for that reason. Um, and just they, they feel like things are in better hands and better managed right now. And... Yeah, I think they feel good about where they're at. I mean, it's funny, and we're going to get to we can get right to NC State. Actually, this will take us to that. But NC State, Wake Forest, and what happened to NC State? NC State fans are four; they're four and four right now, and NC State fans feel ex- way worse about where they're at at five hundred than Carolina fans do about being four and five. And yeah, you can kind of understand why. Um,
0: Wake is well; they're just not they're not that competitive. NC State
1: not It's not, not that they're
0: losing. I mean, losing by 18 losing by 18 to this Florida State team. Yeah. is an embarrassment really, frankly. And um and then getting housed by Wake Forest. I mean, I know Wake Forest took their foot off the gas, or they could have scored 65 easily it seemed yes. like. Um and it's also his 6th year, 7th seventh year. 7th. Seventh.
1: Yeah, Um, there's a so it's an unfortunate combination of things for Dave Doran um, that happened this year, like losing your offensive coordinator, losing a bunch of offensive linemen to the NFL, losing your two best wide receivers, losing your quarterback. And they had there was a lot of angst about who the quarterback is. But as probably somewhat with Florida State, yes, you can keep switching quarterbacks, but there's not. You know, there's, the answer is not on this roster, right? So you can keep changing quarterbacks and they finally settled on Devin Leary and he has the most upside of any of them. So they're going to play him from here on out. But, you know, he's 17 to 45 for 149 yards, one touchdown, two picks against Wake. Um, their offensive line isn't very good, but at the same time, like you know, it, Wake is down their best corner. You should probably be able to do a little bit better than that. And and they just couldn't, they just couldn't do anything offensively. And it was a disaster um, basically from the opening, you know, opening kickoff of the game almost for, for NC state. So I, yeah, like you said, they're just not competitive. So that four and four feels a lot more hollow when you're getting blown out by Florida state, Boston college and Wake forest. And yeah, I don't, there's a thought at that. Um, nc state because they still have georgia tech so there's a thought that nc state and unc to close the season could be for bowl eligibility
0: oh boy (laughs) i can't believe and i can't believe that i cover a program that has this problem too like i can't believe i cover a program that in november we still don't know if they're going to go to a bowl and they're probably not going to go to a bowl for the second straight year it's just nuts wait who do Um, they have left they have at boston college oh which that's a coin toss probably yep Although you just lost your coach and you have no idea how hard these kids are going to play in 35 degree weather, you have <laughs> Alabama State, which is a win, okay. so that gets you to five wins, right. and then you have at Florida.
1: Oh, which, oh okay, so no yeah. bowl unless they're you go. At, yeah, I
0: mean, you, you got to win at Boston, but yeah, they they could play with 13 guys on the field and they wouldn't beat Florida. They have, I mean, that again, that was that was another thing that not to make it about Florida State again, but no, one fine. thing that I thought was really funny when Coburn was talking today, he he said. Um, he goes, look, we, we decided we need to make a change, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, and frankly, six and, six and six just isn't good enough. And immediately I'm like, well, you know, technically they have Are a chance to get to seven. <laughs> well, not only that, but like they have three games left. So ah, technically yeah. they could win all three. But it's so laughable, even the notion that they could compete with Florida in Gainesville that he, it wasn't even registering in his brain that that was a possibility. They knew the best they could do, the absolute best they could do with six and six, because there's no chance they can beat Florida. Just like there was no chance they could beat Clemson. Like we all knew they were going to lose to Clemson, but 45 to nothing at half or in early in the third quarter. is just Just gross. Just gross. But yeah, you touched on
1: North Carolina too. And I think a big part of the optimism where they are is the way that they played Clemson. I mean, nobody else has played them like that this year. And so for them to do that, I know a lot of things had to happen and Clemson had to help, but for that to happen, That's a big reason for some of that optimism, too. Like, well, in
0: in a lot of it, though, Howell, as well, like, you know, you have him for at least two years, at least two years, and this kid looks like a phenom. Quarterback play. He's putting up ridiculous numbers.
1: It's so important. Quarterback play is so important. And there's just something a little different about about that kid, you know, there just really is. And,
0: um, well, I would have liked to have gotten to see him (laughs) myself. But he had to go somewhere else.
1: Listen, you've seen plenty of good things. Like, can't <laughs> look, true. Can, can I like ha- we just covered like Nathan Elliott for bless him. He's a nice kid for like two years.
0: You know? Sure. Sure. <laughs> and, but we we all know Florida State's a basketball school now anyway. Well, so I, I mean,
1: you will get no argument from me on that. As you know, I'm a Leonard Hamilton.
0: Yeah, um, man. Oh. handball's getting it done. I don't think they're going to be great this year. Uh, they fine. lost so much from last year, but they'll be okay. I think their ceiling is like an eight or nine seed in the NCAA tournament, but they'll be—they should still be pretty good.
1: They'll have a bunch of like seven-foot wings with insane athleticism, so it's
0: fine. No, that's what—that's that, <laughs> what he does. But yeah, I was wondering with the NC State, with the fans, what what the feeling was with with Doran because they did have a they had a, a, a nice year last year, and and they've had he always you know, put he's had quarterbacks and they've they've had some nice seasons. But so in your seventh year to have something like this, do they just chalk it up to like a one year hiccup? Are, are NC State fans really worried that this is the direction the program's going in?
1: It's a mix. They've, they know they've had a lot of injuries as well on both sides of the ball, which they really couldn't afford because they were already thin in terms of what they had lost. Um, and so I, they knew it would be a rebuilding year as well. They do still have four wins. They don't know that they're not going to a bowl at this point. They still could make a bowl, um, strangely enough, just with the way their schedule is structured. And, you know, they're not happy about it. Don't get me wrong. And I think they don't like the co-coordinators. They're not big fans of uh, their defensive coordinator at this point but they also understand that when you lose what you lost, if you're not a Clemson or Alabama, you're probably going to suffer some as a result of it. And they kind of are. So, right, yeah, I mean, I think that they understand that from an intellectual level as well. And speaking of uh, not meeting expectations and Boston college, Syracuse, oh boy, Syracuse, you are bad.
0: Yeah, man. They started out the season ranked. My bad guys. Sorry. I ranked them. I mean, Oh, well, I mean, but they were ranked anyway. You weren't the only one. They were in the top 25 when the season started. Well, I mean... And they are awful. Yeah,
1: I mean, some of what I like to do when I'm doing preseason rankings is reward you for what you've done the year before. And if you return a reasonable amount of talent and a quarterback I might trust, then yeah. But yeah.
0: Oh. And that DeVito kid, he he played last year against Florida State. Uh, Dungey got hurt pretty early in that game. And I think DeVito played the whole second half at least. Maybe more than that. Maybe the final three quarters. And he was a lot better than Dungey in that game. Now, that has not materialized at all. Right.
1: I saw him against North Carolina do the same thing um, when Dungey got hurt and he came in and he basically was the reason they won that game.
0: So maybe he should be a closer. Right.
1: I was going to say, I've seen Dungey do that too. He just, Dungey was such an emotional center for them. And, and I don't think DeVito... Yeah, can quite replicate that. Plus, they lost a lot. Their offensive line is just awful, um, which is a theme in this year's
0: ACC. Yes, it is. It's it's terrible. It might be as bad as Florida State's. And that's saying something. It
1: really might be. And then they, they fire their defensive coordinator today. And um, you have to kind of when you put up, you let Boston College put up 58 points on you. Not that Boston College, surprisingly good offensively, but still, that's not the point. Um, it's, it's just, it's not good. And yeah, it, I'm still living in this bizarre universe where Boston College is one of the league's more explosive offenses. And I don't really, I still don't know how to process it, but this is where we are.
0: And they threw ten passes in that game, right? (laughs) I think that kid. I think they were eight of ten in that game, and I think the game, the two games before, they threw six. Yeah, in each of those games, (laughs) something crazy like that. I mean, I know that kid's a great running back, but it's like we know what we are. We know what we're going to do, and we don't care that it's two thousand nineteen. Well, and we put our games in black and white. If you want, that's been Steve Adazio, this, is who we are. this is
1: like Steve Adazio's dream team. Like, are you kidding me?
0: This is oh, absolutely. <laughs> this is. But do you think it actually might have been better for them that the kid got hurt? Oh, I don't. And they're like, yeah. okay.
1: I know what you're saying. I mean, I don't.
0: You know what I'm saying? Like, did they change something? Where they're like, okay, we we can't rely on our quarterback to make any plays. They still didn't
1: pass a ton even then, but obviously, yeah, they pass even less now. Um, with a walk on, you know, guy at quarterback that's you can't really trust. But yeah, I mean, credit to him for sort of knowing what this team can and can't do and and just sort of pounding it until it doesn't work anymore. Um, and they've been really, really good. And AJ Dillon's great. And uh, what do you you know, there's nothing you can really do. And they just they pounded Syracuse uh and it's it was an impressive performance, and Steve Adazio likely going to do enough to save his job again, even though he lost to Kansas. So sure, um, that's like the most Steve. This is like the most Steve Adazio arc of the season, and it's it's wonderful,
0: really. Well, and it's a big game. Uh, obviously, a big game for Florida State for bowl eligibility, but that's a, that's a, you know it wouldn't be great. I don't think he I don't necessarily think he's a danger of losing his job. Obviously, but it wouldn't be a great look to lose to a a Florida state team without a real head, without a permanent head coach coming off an embarrassment against Miami.
1: No, it wouldn't. Um, it definitely would not, but they've, yeah, they've looked really good offensively and we'll see how long it continues because it's not a secret what they're doing. Um, no, at all. (laughs) I, I, will dwell on this next game for as long as it warrants, which is not long. Um, Pitt, you did not screw up against Georgia tech. So good for you. Um, I thought, I thought they might, I really did. Um, but they didn't. They did exactly what they needed to do, even if it was hideous, and they won twenty to ten against a Georgia Tech team that is, as we knew, it was going to be awful. So, I mean, congratulations, I guess.
0: <laughs> Man, there are just some bad, and I and I am not one of these SEC honks. I, I've been I've been banging the ACC football drum for a long time, uh, really, two thousand fourteen, when it was just Florida State kept winning games and kept getting passed by one-loss SEC teams, and there was, like, no respect for the ACC at all. Like, that Louisville team in 14 was really good, and they had, like, 10 guys drafted, but Florida State barely beats them, and they get punished, and they get punished for barely beating all these ACC teams. And so I've been banging the drum that the ACC is actually a pretty good football conference. Not this year. It really is. Um, But holy moly, is it just awful this year. And you look at these offenses and some of these quarterbacks, and who's... Like, who's the fourth or fifth best quarterback in this conference? I mean... Like, I think we know Lawrence is one. Uh, Howell and Newman are very, very good. And then after that, it's just like a bunch of vomit on the carpet. (laughs) There's just not... There's not anything. I mean, I shouldn't say that. The Jaron Williams kid at Miami, I think, has a chance, well, but he's upside, had some bad moments, too. Right, there's upside and, with it, some of them, but it's unproven. Exactly. And Perkins. I shouldn't forget Perkins. He's a nice player. But I guess the bottom half of the quarterbacks in the it's league bad. is what I'm saying. No, it's, the, bad. The, the, it's really bad. I don't remember it ever being like – even ACC teams that weren't good in the past, they'd have a quarterback. But, man, like, just there's the, – the kid at Pitt really struggles – Um Virginia Tech. Who's their quarterback? Well, I will say this about Virginia Tech:
1: Hendon Hooker, when he was healthy, I thought looked really good, and I didn't understand why Justin Fuente had not played him earlier because he's a perfect fit for what he wants to do. But he's hurt now, so they've got Quincy Patterson in there, who is um, and that gets us to actually Virginia Tech and Notre Dame, who was somewhat um limited as a passer to be yeah. nice, sure. sure, um, but he and he was nine of twenty eight, I believe, in that football game, and. Yikes. It, oddly enough, by the way, at the end of that game, as close as it was, as close as that game ended up being, um, Notre Dame, I think, uh, from Bill Connolly from ESPN who does the advanced statistics, they had a 98% win probability. <laughs> um, who did? Notre Dame because of the way the stats lined up, right? So like the way the statistics broke down, that would have given them like a 98% chance to win based on that, except for you know things like the hidden yardage, the turnovers, where they took place, everything else. Um, and yeah, that was (laughs) Virginia Tech made it a game somehow through their magic the the way only Virginia Tech can seem to do, by the way. And yeah, of course, it's just the weird voodoo that they do, but it, it didn't quite work. But I mean, you know what? Bud Foster had a really nice game plan, um, took it in there and it almost worked. Just not quite, just not quite against Notre Dame and the ACC remains winless at Notre Dame. I think that's, I think I have that stat, right? Oh, what do you
0: mean? Is that true?
1: What at Notre Dame? Yes. Like since we started this little arrangement at Notre Dame. Yes.
0: Oh, um, since they started the yes, arrangement. Yes, okay. Yes, I was yes. going to say Florida state won there a, a, a while ago. Um, yeah, no, you're right. That is true. That's crazy. Yes. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, it almost worked is what you said about the Virginia Tech game plan. And that's, that should be the motto of the ACC in 2019. <laughs> that's accurate. ACC football. It almost worked.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it—you know—I mean—the stats would give you no indication that Virginia Tech should have been anywhere close, and yet it's a one-point game, and Notre Dame has to score like a last-second touchdown to win it.
0: Um, yeah, and they had to convert like two fourth downs on that they drive. They
1: outgained them by two hundred and seven yards.
0: <laughs> okay, all right, sure. <laughs> they
1: had more than they had more than double first downs.
0: Yeah. Wow. Really? Yep. <laughs> well, hey, and they, yeah, there you go. Hey, that's fine. That's fine. And you almost won. Nobody would have cared about the stats if you'd have gotten one of those. Uh, sure, one of those stops. You know, right. And who do you think? So who do you think? I don't mean to put you on the spot no on your it. own podcast, <laughs> but who do you think is the second best team in the league? Is it Wake?
1: Um, it's Wake or Virginia for me. Um, I, I but I dislike Virginia, like. Virginia's offense, if it plays like it did against North Carolina, I think it's them. Although they are now down six defensive backs for the year. Wow. I didn't know that. Yep. Yep. Uh, That's not good. Wow. Uh, So as good as that defense can be, you know, you can only be so good when you have those kinds of injuries. Bryce Hall in particular is so good. Um, So yeah, I, I would have said them. If their offense can play like that, I might still say them. But Wake has been so... So good all year, especially offensively. And Dave Clawson such a good coach that I probably would have to go with them. Honestly, like
0: he was also a name that popped up uh, on the initial list. He's a builder, uh, like when you read these various lists, yeah, like Um, yeah, he's he's a really good coach, man. He's a sharp dude and a a really good coach. Um, It is a different deal recruiting at Wake Forest than recruiting at Florida State. Uh, Just the the schools you are recruiting against, and the you know the athletes that you are recruiting. It's a little different, but man. I think that guy would do a great job at any big and I don't mean to uh you, you know, disparage Wake Forest, but any big time football school, I think he would do a he would do a really nice job. He's he's really impressive. That job that offense Yeah, that job's
1: insanely difficult. Something. And he's
0: Oh, absolutely. He's done a
1: great job. He's built at every level he's been. So he would be a really good coach for anybody to hire. I'm surprised he hasn't got more buzz before now, but that that's the team I would go with. Um last team last game we got. Woff, I, I there's really no need to say anything about Wofford at Clemson, honestly. Like that's. Ugh. I'll be honest with you. I don't even know that.
0: What was the score of that game? <laughs>
1: Fifty-nine to fourteen. All you need to know about that game is that Dabo's kid got a uh, rep before halftime.
0: <laughs> so, so last year in the Florida State Clemson game, uh, da- they were throwing they were throwing fades to Dabo's kid in the end zone when it was 59 to 3. And he actually almost caught a touchdown and then I think the FSU DB ripped it out of his hands for an interception. And so when we were when we were talking about that the Florida State Clemson game the week of the game, the whole goal was what I was te- what I was saying on the show and writing was you just don't want to see Dabo's kid on the field. <laughs> just don't ha- if you if Dabo's kid doesn't get on the field, you've won uh... the game. You've won you've won. But no, it was forty-five nothing. So of course his kid got on the field. But as far as I know, Venables led him in tackles. Like it was just it was a it was like a family picnic out there against Florida State. But yeah, the so Davos kid got in there before the first half.
1: Yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean that's really all you need to know. Like there's nothing else relevant at all to say about that game. So. That's the end of it.
0: No, no. They're really good. Dabo does a good job. I don't know if you've ever talked about him before on the podcast. No, I don't know.
1: I'm not familiar. Is he doing good work? Yeah, or? no. He's, he's, oh. he's
0: done pretty good. At, he's done pretty well at Clemson since he's been there. It's a little dicey early, but they stuck with him, oh, and a uh, it's paid off with... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it paid off with you know, the best program in the country. Right? What an what an what an awesome job he's done. I mean, I know that's not breaking news on this podcast, but yeah. And and the reason swinging it all back full circle, the reason I wanted so badly for Willie to succeed is because he he is so much more like Dabo in personality. He really is than he is Jimbo, and I'm really really tired of the Sabanization of college football. Yes. I hate yes. it. Yes. I hate the paranoia. I hate how serious everything is. You know, this is Florida State. This is where Bobby Bowden was. It doesn't have to be so serious, and you don't have to guard practices and interviews and players and coaches like they're, they would share nuclear secrets. It's football. It's supposed to be fun. And Dabo really does a great job of keeping that as a family, but keeping it fun. And those kids seem to have so much fun playing for him, and he seems like a normal enough guy. A dude you'd go have a beer with or go eat Cracker Jacks with or whatever he does, you would want to go hang out with him and just just talk. I, I totally think he would eat Cracker Jacks, yeah. Actually, he seems like a Cracker Jacks guy, doesn't he? And, and I thought Willie could be that guy. I thought, okay, now if Willie starts succeeding at Florida State while Dabo's succeeding at Clemson, man, maybe that'll, maybe that'll shift college football. It'll shift the paradigm a little bit, and not everybody is going to try to be a clone of Nick Saban, but they'll try to be a clone of Dabo because Dabo is good for college football. I know he has his missteps, and he's got microphones in his face all the time, so he's going to say some stuff that that, you know either isn't taken well or isn't all that smart, but everybody does that if you talk long enough, but he's good for the sport. And I, I think Willie, having good people and nice people in positions uh, head coaches is good for the sport. And so I really wanted Willie to succeed. But, you know, if you're, it doesn't matter how nice you are if you go 9-12 and 12 at Florida State. It just doesn't. And I say that covering Jimbo for eight years, and Jimbo is a very good coach here. I, I would hesitate to call him a great person, but he got the results. And I was really, really hoping that Willie would get would, – would somehow make Florida State into like a dabbo – uh, light, a Clemson light. And that, that would take that would be the trend across the country instead of the sabinization of college football, which is now taking place where everybody is so paranoid about every little thing that goes on with their program. Yeah. Anyway, that was my little soapbox. No, I, like I didn't mean to get back it's on that. It's
1: fine. I, I'm with you. I, I think we all agree on that here. On this podcast, uh, we, we still roast Pat Narduzzi for some of his fourth down decisions, for one. I mean, he, that's nothing to do with a good or bad person, but it's just like, okay, dude, like, come on, like, just take a little risks, have a little fun. It's one reason why the Mac Brown season has been surprisingly refreshing to watch. And I didn't expect to say that, but um, he's just coaching like he's not going to get fired because he's not. And that's been really fun. Right. You no, know? I mean, <laughs> right. sure. Yeah. You know, not every decision has to be handled with such, like, just. You know, trust your gut, go with your instinct, listen to your assistants and, you know, hope for the best. See what happens. If you don't win, you don't win. If you, if you you know, if you do, great. But, you know.
0: <laughs> and the Nard- the Narduzzi one was an all-timer. Oh the one at Penn oh, State was holy moly. It. I really am. I can't believe his players even suited up the next week. <laughs> like, how, you know, how are you going to, and he's a good coach and they're a good team. And it's like, how are you going to do that, man, to your players? They want to win. What do you, why are you being a, I mean, I'm not saying he is a coward, but that was a coward. it was just a dumb decision, but it was a cowardly decision and it's crazy. Oh, how, I said that. I said Well, that. yeah, and I, but I don't know that he's a coward as a human being, but in that moment, that was a cowardly decision. And it's like, man, nobody would blame you for going for it. there. It's so many times these coaches on four and you see it in the NFL all the time. Yeah, it's way more common there. It's yeah. it, it's it's an epidemic in the NFL. But fourth and 3 at you're at the other team's 44-yard line and you're going to punt it. Like, man, you go go, go go for it. Go for it, dude. Go yeah. for it. Yeah, you have you have a million a 6 million dollar quarterback. Believe in them. <laughs> you have a offensive line, they're all pros like and and they just I I've never understood like that sport. It is so about, you know, Pardon the phrasing, but it's so about being a man and being tough minded yeah. and blah, 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 all that nonsense we've heard all, all our lives. But when it comes to game decisions, they are such these guys that all preach being a man and being tough and, and facing adversity, they're such cowards when it comes to oh, fourth and two, are they gonna get mad at me if I don't if I go for it and don't get it, I gotta punt and play it safe. It's cool. That
1: is cool. My coach uh, of my Carolina Panthers of the NFL just had a rant against analytics today that made me um, very sad and uh, angry at the same time.
0: (laughs) Hey, but they're good this year, right? They're pretty good. Yeah, but like
1: that's his biggest issue. Always has been.
0: Well, always. Yeah. Riverboat Ron, (sighs) right? Is now, I can't, is that an ironic name, like calling me Curly? No, no, it's not. But it is now. At least it
1: should be. It was when his job was on the line, it's not anymore. And so he coaches like you know, like he used to.
0: Ugh. Right, right. He didn't he's gone back to being conservative and being a, a big baby yes. at times. Yeah, I get it. Uh, my coach is Dan Quinn, who won't be my coach for much longer, but Yeah, well <laughs> he is awful at that it's stuff. Just,
1: it, I think awful it's, it's at uh, it. some of it's the defensive minded guys, I think, but still it's it's exhausting. Corey Clark, war chant thank you so much for
0: oh man we've been going we've been going for over 50 minutes I apologize you said you wanted this to be a 20 minute show I did not say that nobody (laughs) cares
1: we could have gone just 20 minutes on Florida State alone so it's fine and thank
0: I think we did I think we did
1: too but thank you so much for giving us all of the breakdown of the Florida State situation how we got here what's next and you still know plenty about the rest of the ACC and so thanks for doing this with me and until later this week everybody bye